You're listening to Soundbites, a podcast by the Arkansas Philharmonic Orchestra to share, inspire, and empower our classical music community here in Northwest Arkansas and beyond. My name is Erjing Kong, your host for the podcast and concertmaster of APO. Major Kurth is a composer and cellist currently based in Fayetteville, Arkansas. As an avid performer, Matt performs in a diverse number of genres, including new chamber music, film scores, bluegrass, and jazz. He's in the process of recording a full-length solo album to be released this year in 2021. I had a chance to speak with him about his relationship to classical music and his compositional process. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm just going to jump right in and ask a very basic but possibly very murky question, which is, what is classical music? So I think classical music, that's a term that has a different meaning for the practitioners of it and then the general public. I think for practitioners, classical music is music that has like a, a relationship to its own form and music that is that is really sensitive to its developmental language i would also say music that is that is kind of made of its own language yeah so there's there's definitely that that relationship to itself and also the appearance perceived or imagined or intended to to those who receive it can you expand upon that Classical music is also a term that has a bunch of baggage, I think. And um, the baggage also aligns with the um, the general public kind of definition of it, which is like f- kind of fancy. It's associated with like fanciness and European classicism and like like a Eurocentric kind of values and um, and whatnot. And I think that's that kind of creates a major divide in practitioners of new new classical music, contemporary classical music, like I am, and then people who are more oriented in like the traditional symphonic and chamber music world. And part of that is the concert going experience where it's, where it feels like a really fancy atmosphere. It feels like a fancy formal atmosphere where, um, you know, you, are, you must be dead silent do not clap between movements or someone will give you a dirty look. And I think for a lot of folks that is appealing, that's appealing as this fancy escapist kind of thing. And then for a lot of folks, that's really off-putting. Uh, and, and I think part of what is really important about classical music is that it is a an evolving discipline. And the idea of making works that are, that have like this really unique r- relationship to their own material like there are people who work with that kind of attitude today, living in the same world that we do and experiencing the things that we do. As a contemporary classical musician, did you find the classical framework you inherited to be insufficient in a way or misaligned with your aesthetics, which then led you to seek out a more contemporary expression of classical music or did you always have this interest in contemporary classical music for as long as you can remember? 
in piano and cello lessons, I think I was kind of a punk. Um, I was, uh, there was a point where I was like way more interested in basically practicing improvising rather than practicing the literature uh, that I was supposed to be doing. And maybe there's some ways that I'm still paying for that, but um, I think I think for me, like the the main uh, the main benefit to having a classical framework of musical understanding is just like it's kind of like a memory development for me. Like, uh, and if you can access your musical memory, then I think that's a really valuable listening skill not only over like the course of a piece, which you're often asked to do as a listener of a classical piece, but then, you know, throughout um, when you're listening to music from different time periods, different genres, like it's basically just kind of like a punning exercise, you know, like uh, if you can, if you can access these memories, then your, your experience becomes like webbed and deeper and richer, I think. Um, but so when I, all that to say, uh, when I started really writing music seriously, um, as like a late high schooler or early undergraduate student, um, I think the dynamicism and the whole arc of a piece, that's the, that's the thing that is really interesting to me. And that's the thing that's really interesting to me today. So this is a perfect segue, Matt, because uh, I would love now to talk a bit about your pieces and about your process and how this all sort of ties into our larger conversation previous about classical music and now contemporary and post-contemporary classical music. Uh, you have three pieces that we're going to listen to, Color Shift, Plains Cathedrals, and The Color of Distance, all representative of different timelines in your compositional process and your compositional timeline curious to to kind of pick these apart so let's take a quick listen to color shift first This piece, as much of my work is, is definitely inspired by, in some way, just the language of textures that can come out of string instruments. Uh, some of my classical baggage that I am like unpacking is the premise of like proper technique and whatnot. Um, and I'm a big fan and proponent of like exploring the instrument and finding interesting sounds on it. And this piece. Uh, is maybe the first effective um, the first effective result of that. Um, this piece I would characterize as being like pretty brash and pretty um, thorny. Um, although it, it, it's still 
like the tonal language of this piece is kind of interesting to me because it is like quasi has a quasi tonal relationship, but um, not in the way that we traditionally think about tonality. Um, I would also say this piece, uh, if we're talking about classical music, this piece is a really classical idea of form, like which is just generally, basically, the idea of departure, <laughs> exploration, mystery, and then a return. Um, and this piece kind of wrangles that like quick little form in four minutes or so. Yeah, so this is this piece strikes me as maybe one of the more straight down the line kind of contemporary classical pieces that I've written. Yes, I of course really resonated with what you were saying about the baggage of technique and perfection and also this language of a form, this this very traditionally bound idea of form and design that we all inherit um, and that informs our idea of what a well-crafted piece looks like or sounds like. Um, which is why I think our second piece that we're going to listen to is so interesting. Plains Cathedral has no score. Uh, let's take a quick listen and talk about it. You have to talk about this piece. It has no score. It is improvised. And uh, as you mentioned, you are exploring ways to, to continue to perform it. Please let us know what you, what you mean by this. Well, first of all, I want to address the no score issue. 
and this has been something that I've um, been really kind of dealing with over the last few years as I've been working a bunch in non-classical music, been working in contexts where there is never a score uh, and where you're picking up things by ear with like kind of making your own arrangements on the fly and whatnot. Uh, and this piece is directly inspired by my uh, interaction with folk music and folk musicians. Um, and as such, the textures in there are in some way inspired by like some traditional American folk music. Um, you know, kind of if you like just took a old folk music track and like really stretched it out. Um, so this piece was composed without a score in a DAW, in a dig digital audio workstation. And this began with just pretty straight up improvisation on reed organ that lasted um, six minutes or so. And uh, basically I just like improvised to a click track and kind of built a form around that. I think this is, this is an idea that kind of comes from my, um, comes more from my interaction with jazz music. Like I studied jazz in undergrad. I'm not, not a hardcore jazz musician, but uh this piece, I think, to a listener comes across as a journey that the, a solo cello is taking you on. Um, that sounds really cheesy. Uh, I think the piece doesn't sound as cheesy. Um, but the the contemporary classical music reference to that is um, a piece called The Dharma at Big Sur by John Adams, which is a, a concerto for electric violin. Concerto might not be the right word. It's a long piece for electric violin and orchestra. And... I, I mean, re really, since high school, I've just loved, 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 loved the language of the violin in that piece. And, like, here now, six, seven years later, um, I, I made this piece. And, like, that, um, that language is, like, so ingrained in the way that I play, I think. And so my... The language of Tracy Silverman's playing on that uh, on that record is like really deeply ingrained in the way that I approach the instrument and approach improvising over like a long, like uh, unfolding texture like that. Um, as far as performance of this piece goes, so this is a piece that was like generated in a DAW. There's no score. Um, there's no performer except for me, and I haven't written down my part uh, <laughs> because it was improvised. And I think a, a big part of like the traditional discipline of classical music is the element of is kind of the exchange between composer and performer, and the composer being the creator of a score, which sometimes I refer to as like an instruction manual, and then the performer being the executor of the instruction manual. And, but this piece, like there's no real instruction manual. Um, so I think for me to perform this, I would either have to arrange it in a way that functions for a live ensemble or play it with some kind of electronic setup. And I kind of lean towards the, I kind of lean towards the latter of those um, just to play with more of the spatial elements of the piece. Because there's only so much spatial elements of a piece you can put in a stereo mix, which is what this piece is. Um, eventually, down the line, I would love to have like a B format or like surround 
experience of that piece. Yeah, that's so interesting about the instruction manual, because I tell people, especially in the genre of classical music, that interpretive artists have so little truly creative liberties. And that's just how our genre has been defined. And so I, I really love this idea um, in uh, Plains Cathedrals of, of operating without an instruction manual. Let's segue into our final piece now, The Color of Distance, and discuss your interest in exploring color in music. Talk about your explorations of color in music, as well as how the visual arts informs your music. The influence of visual arts for me is not, I wouldn't characterize it as being incredibly deep. For me, in the way that I work, I think the most direct analogy to visual arts is to painters, particularly because of the relationship of like color gesture and form. Um, and I think gesture has such a clear anal analogy to like, especially string performance practice because our instruments are so physical and there's so much motion involved with the performance of it. And in the same way that a painter would gesture across a canvas and like make a line uh, to color, I kind of equate that to discussions of on the instrument, uh, texture and pitch kind of condensed together into that analogy. And then, um, and then form like the overall shape of the painting. Like obviously our shape in uh, music is over time instead of like on a canvas in front of you. Um, yeah, I think that's the general relationship. It's not, it's not a synesthetic relationship. I don't, literally see color when I hear sound or anything like that. But for me, it's just like a clear kind of analogy. So Matt, of course, <clears throat> us talking through the time of COVID and everything that we've seen with classical music and also just the performing arts in general, 
Um, I, I have to ask and, and go back to conclude by asking another really big, broad question, which is, I think for most people, beyond just surviving and trying to make the best of an unprecedented situation, this time has also given us um, a lot of time to think about the future of classical music and possibly to reframe, redirect old narratives. Uh, can you share a bit about your own thoughts of where you hope classical music's narrative will be in the future and how you personally, as an artist, performer, composer, hope to shape that conversation? I think the most important thing that classical um, music organizations can do is work to decentralize the white male uh, European canon of music. And part of that is, part of that I think could be a very self-serving kind of thing, which is get people interested in music that's being written today, particularly particularly young people. I think it's it's way easier to, I think, get people to your concert if you're advertising music that is written by, written by people who are more relatable to this audience that you're going after. I would be a much more motivated concert goer if there was more new music and especially more new music being programmed that is not by like specifically like white men. Um, I am a white man uh, and I, yeah, program someone else's music, like, please. Um, and so I think that is, that is the direction that I want to see. I want to see like composition being a supported activity, you know, for, and a supported outlet for folks. It's, and I think part of that is, um, I, I, I want to see uh, composition be treated as a creative outlet for more young students. I think songwriting is treated as an outlet for uh, for music students, which is excellent. Um, but part of that is because like writing words is treated as way less abstract than writing music. And I think you just got to like break the ice there. Like even like experienced music students who are amazing performers get cold feet when it comes to composition. And I, I think that is a, it's a discipline that should be like really demystified. I also think as far as classical music outside of institutions goes, I'm really interested in the music that people are making in, in DAWs, you know, in uh, Logic or Ableton or Pro Tools or whatever. And I think, you know, giving people access to like that software, like people are going to make one awesome hip hop beats to really interesting music that resembles classical music, but maybe comes from a different place. So I think in, in general, like the genre discussion of classical music, for me as a listener and as like kind of an omnivorous listener, the, um, the genre of classical music doesn't really carry a lot of strong like aesthetic values except for it being so self-referential. Um, I think there's a lot of music that is not considered classical music that like can be treated with the same kind of archival and like historical significance. Um, and like that's something that happened in uh, I think 2018 when 
Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer Prize. And like, yeah, because Damn is amazing and incredibly self-referential. Uh, and like this body of work does have like the same, th the same narrative, the same focus on narrative thread that's present in historical classical music. Matt, thank you so much for your time. We've covered such deep topics in such a short time. I really appreciate your insights and your generosity. Thank you for tuning in to APO's Soundbites. If you enjoyed the episode, please share and tell your friends. More information about APO can be found on their website, arphil.org, A-R-P-H-I-L.org, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Please join us again next time for more explorations in the rich world of classical music. Music